Welcome to We Flesh, in this here place, Black Women Be, a podcast that explores topics relevant to Black women folk and all those who love and care for us. Here, we embrace the fullness of our humanity. Here, we be in conversation and contemplation. Here, we just be together. Join me, Lisa Anderson, and my amazing co-host, I'm Michaela Gaston. Welcome, beloveds. In the words of Toni Morrison, in this here place, we flesh. Well, hello, beloveds. I'm Lisa Anderson. And I'm Amakela. Welcome to We Flesh. So excited to have on our show today, the amazing, the incredible, my darling sweet friend, Erica Huggins. Oh my my gosh. I just have to say, this is a very special episode for me. This is one of my dearest, dearest family members and friends. And she is just a golden light for the world. And Mm -hmm. I just feel like one of the gems that she shared this time that I had never heard was just about how we get to hold the process of letting go and and living into love. I don't know, Lisa, mm-hmm. tell me what you what you got from this as well. And I well, first of all, I was I was so grateful for that Ami that you would share someone who is so special to Yay. you with us and this audience. Um I've heard of Erica Huggins because you know, I I care about the history of the Black Panthers and she's mm. such a you know, um, a luminary in that space. True, um, that word, luminary, yes. Yes, and I, there was so much, but her focus on truth-telling mm. and our need to live in the moment, mm. um, to heal from harm, to yes. be in a place where we heal and help heal others from harm. Yes. But that all of that comes from telling the truth. And that when we think we have to mask the truth from those around us, especially young people, especially children, that in fact, all of us can hold the truth. Um, it's the distraction of lies and injustice that we can't hold. And so- She just brings that to life. It's beautiful. She's beautiful. And as a restorative justice practitioner, not only bringing the truth to light, but also holding it in a space like you were just describing of healing and restoration and being our whole complete self. And she Mm -hmm. is a whole complete person. It is mm-hmm. truly something to aspire to. Yes. And I'm so excited for you all, you listeners, to get a juicy dose of the mm. magic of Erica Huggins. Mm. For those of you who don't know, I and I, I feel like I'm saying that into the air and it's like, how is that possible? But for those <laughs> of you who don't know, Erica is a human rights activist. She's a poet. She's an educator. She's a Black Panther leader and former political prisoner. For the past 36 years, she has lectured throughout the United States and internationally. Her life experiences have enabled her to speak personally and honestly on issues relating to the physical and emotional well-being of women, children, and youth and whole being education. That's a phrase I like, whole being education. Um, The incarceration of men and women of color and the role of spiritual practice in sustaining activism and promoting social change. So this is my first time meeting Erica, but I'm just so thrilled because I know her by reputation. (laughs) And I know her by heart and she is the most exquisite, honestly, the truest human being I know. It's kind of an amazing thing to say, but honestly, it's true. I I can trust from the core of my being 
Mm -hmm. Erica's truth, vision, commitment, level of integrity. It's, it's a rare thing to say about a human being today, but I feel that about you truly. Thank you. Thank you, Ami. And thank you, Lisa. Hmm. Oh, thank you. We're so happy to have you here. Um, I'm going to jump in and just ask you the first question, and then I know our conversation will take off. So, um, Erica, every week we focus on different ways as Black women that we be flesh after Toni Morrison's great invocation from um, Beloved, where she had baby Suggs Holy say, you know, in this here place we flesh. So what does it mean for you to, um, to be a Black woman in fleshed who I, I describe in, is as who organizes, who impacts the world through your capacity to you know, disrupt the status quo of white supremacy, the carceral system, education? What does it mean for you to be flesh um, in those ways and in any other way that you'd like to share with us? That's a that's a beautiful set of questions and I'm really touched by it because the image that I make as I think about it is that I show up with all of me, mm. not just the woman part of me or the mother part of me or the grandmother part of me or the sister or the daughter or the friend or the partner. I'm an advocate for every level of humanity. So I show up with that and it doesn't always get the best response. <laughs> um, and I show up loving all the beings that we don't call human. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we flesh. Words aren't flesh, but the thing that precedes words way before speech or definitely way before writing is from flesh. And I go to my heart to choose what I want to say, what I want to convey, and, and, and in the hope that it will be helpful and in some ways healing, mm. mm -hmm. at the least not harmful. Wait, I have to tell you, Lisa, one of the things that has stuck with me, Erica always says, you know, if we're having a meal together, because we do a lot of things together, she says, does this have a mother? <laughs> does this have a face? And that's really about infleshing, like really like, and I really appreciate that question because, you know, we don't, and I think this is um, something with respect to the larger conversation, which is that we're so busy not embodying questions like who we be, how we feel, all the things that Eric is talking about. We're so busy being fast in this society, fast in this um, conversation called humanity. When we slow down and we ask these poignant questions that we're asking today, how we be enfleshed, how we honor the mother, the the face, the 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 things that we interact with. It's it's a very daunting yet um apropos question that most people don't ask that makes us have to embody the moment. And so many people are afraid of living in the now. We're so busy being um watching Netflix or, you know, kind of out of body in life. And, and the questions that Erica asks calls you back to the now. And mm -hmm. that's so much about your practice, about how you be at the ashram, how you be in the world. Can you talk a little bit about how you like be in the world and how you um, call that world that you want into being like what it smells like, tastes like, feels like, what does that look like for you? 
Well, when I was incarcerated, I taught myself to meditate because that was mm -hmm. so the only way that I could avert like going out, just checking out. Mm -hmm. I was in solitary confinement, separated from my daughter, who was at the time just a few months old. It's a long story, but the, the beauty of the story is that that's for some reason I really don't understand. I chose to do that. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Mm -hmm. But I, one of my lawyers gave me a little book and in it um, were yoga postures, which were simple for me to do. Mm. Yeah. Isolated space. And because I couldn't go for walks unless there was a guard who was willing to take Huggins for a walk. Um, and so I paid attention to what the book said. After you do these postures, just sit still a while and breathe. Mm. So I knew how to breathe. I knew how to sit still. I was doing it at that point every day of my 21 years. And I've and and sooner than later, and I did it for my daughter because I didn't want to visit her on the one Saturday for an every Saturday for one hour. I didn't want to dump all of my mm. sorrow and loneliness on her. Wow. And so. I would sit still a while and breathe every day. And within about a week, I started noticing that I was able to separate from the feelings enough to be, as Ami just said, in the moment with my daughter on the one hour each Saturday. Oh, and then it spread out and I was able to be in the courtroom whenever we had to go. And particularly later, the following year when I was on trial. I was awaiting trial for 14 months. That's what I'm trying to say. And I'll never forget that period because it was pivotal in my life. Thank goodness people don't have to these days be incarcerated to learn how to meditate. Anybody can. It's all built in. It's in the package. We're born with it. Mm. You ever watched a baby breathe? Mm. Uh, they know belly breathing. They don't do thoracic. They don't do <laughs> Oh my God, I'm going to fall apart chest breathing. Um, yes. They're, they're just totally with their breath. And so that's what I did. And that practice, Ami, has literally transformed me. And when I fall prey to, you know, the committee meeting going on in my head, it has saved me from that clutter. Mm. And also I know that I'm more present with others because of that simple practice. Mm. And I know that all my life from being a little girl, little black girl in Washington, DC, that I just wanted people to be able to live a better life. What mm -hmm. I saw, I couldn't understand. And though my mother was kind enough to explain it to me, she, in, in terms that weren't all um, perf the perfect words to describe structural blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. She let me know that this wasn't a mistake, that it was the intention to have people live in this way. And once I, as a little girl, I started thinking, why would anybody be so mean to do that? And then she explained, she explained history and American chattel slavery, but not in the language, in the language of a black woman from the South, the oldest of 11 children. And I was able to understand that there is something through my mother, that there is something we each could do. Why? Because my mother was telling me the truth. Mm. So I wanted to tell the truth. And Ami, that helps me to be totally in the present when I can tell the truth, first of all, to myself. Mm -hmm. I can 
like be with the truth of who I am and where I slip and where I stand tall and all of that. And then tell the truth wherever I am. Um, it's part of what I hope for the world. Mm. And in working with children and being an educator and working with young adults, they just want somebody to tell them the truth. Yes. Why can't we tell children Absolutely. the truth? What is I, that about? Somebody said, somebody said they're, they're not capable of processing it. When my mother told me about slavery, I processed it. I didn't fall into tears. Right. I was like, why? There's so many, why? You mean they had chores they gave <laughs> African people to do? She said, no, sugar, these weren't chores. This was, they didn't own their own life. I said, and children were slaves? And she said, yes. But I didn't cry, I didn't fall apart. We believe that children are so fragile. It's adults that are more fragile because we've been taught not to tell the truth. Truly. And why do we, not only do we not tell them the truth, we feed them lies. Santa Claus, the whole thing. Like, what is that about? Why do we, I don't understand. We, we really do love them and we want them to feel happy. But I, I, in working with children over the years, I have found that they are happiest when they understand mm -hmm. what they're already seeing yes. and cognizing, they know. Yes. I can yeah. remember my daughter having an awareness of racism and sexism as a little girl. Wow. She didn't have any language for it. She didn't need it. But she knew that the lady who grabbed her purse when she was in the elevator with us was afraid mm -hmm. an well, old white woman in an elevator mm -hmm. you said something at the very beginning that gave me a clue about what you were saying it was when you talked about you got the book from from your lawyer about meditation when you were in prison and you didn't even know what you were doing you said I don't even know what I'm doing and then when you said the babies can just breathe, they don't have to be taught the belly breath because they know it. There is something about when that we can tap into at sometimes the state of our goodness. There's a goodness, mm -hmm. there's a beingness that's innate and that what has to be oppressed out of us or pushed out of us or drilled out of us is that knowledge. Yes. And so it makes me think lies come in and take the place of what we truly are. Mm. You know, they come into that space. Um, when we are actually separated from the breath that you know, right? The, the fact I loved when you said you wanted people to live a better life, you know, mm -hmm. because our people have known this. There is, it doesn't have to be this way. And we know it in our bones, in the DNA, in the flesh. And when we get separated, like the things that separate us from being enfleshed, that's the space where lies Mm -hmm. and separation can come that's what I got from what you said and that is the space of um mental and spiritual harm mm. it can take root and we're just beginning to talk about mental health in this world oh right we're just beginning to talk about the trauma caused because of the memory, the multi-generational memory of harm, and not, not just African-American people or people of the African diaspora, but lots of humanity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it also brings harm to the people who do the harm. So it's like we are, once again, um, I feel like women of color 
often are about intervening on harm. Mm. Not because somebody tells us to, but because it's important if we know to do it, because we come from ancient civilizations that intervened on harm. Mm -hmm. If we know to do it, then we must. We can't say, well, you know, I got to go. <laughs> no, you have to be present with what's right in front of you, to the side of you, behind you. Um, and at least do a little bit every day. Thank you, Lisa, for pointing that out. And I thought about um, when I meet children when they're five and, you know, I work with lots of different ages of children, but I have the, I've had the great opportunity of uh, knowing children over their lives. And at five or so, they understand um, joy. And they understand what is sad. A little girl was leaving a house I used to live in some years ago. And she was leaving and she was so happy and she fell down the stairs. It was just, she tripped and she fell and she hurt her face. She was okay. But she said to us, in one moment we're happy. And the next thing we know, we're sad. And she just left it with us. She didn't give a commentary on it. And I knew that the choice for me listening to that little girl was when I'm sad, I, I will be sad and I'll understand what caused it. And I will move on because I want to get back to joy. And we have trouble being with joy. We think somebody's imposing it on us as if we have to have it, but it's our, it's our, it's our nature. It's innate. As you said, Lisa, it is innate. Joy is innate and it's been covered over for too long. So I think we're in a, an era where we're doing lots of excavation of beauty. Mm -hmm. Oh, excavation of beauty. I, I do. Love, I like that phrase too. Yes. Too, right? It oh, just it, it sounds like a book. It yes. does. Oh, oh, because what are these things that are our birthright? That's right. You know, yes. the fact that we were born, the fact that we breathe, I, you know, the fact that we take up space. Mm -hmm. But then we're coming to this place where people have to learn that they even take up space. Yeah. Or that it's our right. And, to do that. and yeah. that the flesh we're in is absolutely perfect. It's not flawed. It's not wrong. It's not bad. And I'll never forget talking to a pre-teenager a long, long time ago. She's very, she's very, she's as brown-skinned as I am lighter-skinned. And she walked in to tell me, she said, Erica, can I, can I bleach my, my skin and my eyebrows and the hair on my arms? And I didn't. I felt like I wanted to just grab her and hold her, but I didn't because she was saying something serious that she had mm -hmm. considered fully. Mm -hmm. And I had a mirror in my office. I, it was a school I was running at the time. And I said, let's, let's look in the mirror. What do you tell me what you see? And she said, just ugly. I said, oh, but I don't see that. And did you know that my father would call me ugly all the time? And she goes, no, why? I said, I don't know. Maybe he felt that way about himself and he had to push it outward. But the people who tell you, who told you you're ugly? She said, everything, the magazines, the books, the TV, the movies, I don't, there's no one like me and I'm so black. I said, but look at you, look, your skin is like the night with speckled stars. 
Mm. Oh, beautiful. Look at your cheekbones. Look at your eyes. And she began to look at herself as I was seeing her. Right. Not fully, but there was a pivot. I said, plus bleach will destroy your skin. Did you know that? She goes, no. And we had a long conversation and we hugged and she went on and she said, I still think I'm ugly, but that's okay because I have this skin. I can grow to like it. Wow. Mm. Deep, isn't it? And what if I, I think when I remember that story, I think, I don't know if I've said this to you, Ami, but there need to be a battalion of us that's battalions yes. that's spread out in our communities. Yes. Just like with a mirror in the hip pocket and a reflection in our hearts and just yes. uplift because oh, it's. And, and and maybe without a mirror, you know that song, there were no mirrors in my Nana's house, no mirrors in my Nana's yes. house. Yes, where they're talking about the beauty that you see reflected back to you comes from the people that love you and the words that they say to you and the knowledge that they give to you. And so we aren't caught up in what we see and what we think that is reflected back to us from society <laughs> telling us this and that. That's right. But talk about a healing practice. Talk about a community. Like I love the image of the battalion. The battalion of us going out. out. You know what? Truly. And, you know, uh, Erica and I live next next to one another or not far from one another. And there's a young lady who lives next door to me who's this young, beautiful, I know, this beautiful biracial baby who I've snatched up as my godchild. And the other day, you know, she got, got this wild kind of, you know, wild child fro. And the other day, her teacher who Uh didn't have the battalion released to her back in the day, said to her, your hair is a problem and is causing a distraction. And we're going to have to um, pull you aside. And she pulled, pulled this baby aside and told her that she was a problem. Her hair, her natural way of being was a problem for other people. And it was a sister of color who said this to her. And so she started cowering like her wild self her free self her love for nature and life and wildness was was starting to turn inward on itself into self-hatred and and self-doubt and so we had to release the battalion and it became this whole we got to tell you not only how much how beautiful how much we love you and how beautiful you are but we have to go and also heal your teacher and so That's like, what I was going to say, I was, I was going right there. I was going to say, and you, you know, where in that teacher's, you know, experience and day-to-day yes. life yes. um, is telling her, if I don't control this hair, if yes. I don't control this, I won't keep this job. I'll yes. be, you know, they'll do this, that, and a third to me. I have this image of one day, you know how you've heard those, 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 I think they're epidemiologists or whatever, the study that says that DNA is changed by oppression, that are changed at the cellular level by horror that happens to them. And I see when I saw the battalion, the image of the battalions with the going out to reverse this, Ah. when, you know, I dream of the day when no black little girl no Uh, person period but no black little girl there's no memory in our dna mm. of this not just that that, like she's okay but it it goes back and it heals back in back beyond does it does that it does that and it also um goes forward for generations yes yes Um, erica yes you know it's um it's a multi-tiered forgiveness. I can't explain a multi-tiered forgiveness. Yes. Starting with ourselves. um, Once we realize that once an adult, for instance, realizes they've been lied to and the lie is carrying forward to the babies. Oh God. Yes. um, There's healing there that 
enters every area of life. And, and what was the distraction? Who was the who was distracted by the little girl's hair? Um, and whose gaze do we pay attention to? You know, in the world we live in now where yes. uh, women are, are reclaiming their power. It, it's the power of the heart we're reclaiming. Mm. Think about, and, and spirit. And when we think about that reclamation, um, we really do have to think about um, not just the male gaze, but the, the social, the socialization that says these ones are beautiful, these ones are smart and beautiful, these ones are smart, beautiful, and powerful, and these ones, well, they're just not. And so the distraction might come for me, let me speak for myself, if I believe that I'm not so smart, which for many, many years, I believed, I don't even know what smart is, but it was said to me, you know what I mean? As if it was true. And I'm not beautiful because I'm almost six feet tall and I'm slim and all kinds of other reasons that people would give me. I had to undo those like knots in string, just tedious knots and look at who I am so I can move through the world loving myself. And this began when I was incarcerated of all places. That's where I began to love myself. But the people who told me these things were often people who didn't love themselves. And so that's why I'm thinking about healing of our communities and the battalion can go out to the elders who tell their children, you know, don't wear locks. Those are dirty and nasty. Cut that hair. Don't wear braids. What you think you're trying to look like? Um, or it's, you know, if you don't like yourself, um, just change it. Change your face. Change your features. Change your butt. Change your breasts. Change yourself. Become somebody else. It's sad. It's sad. If I look at it with my child eyes. Yes. Because we're all so perfect. Yes. And the power, not only of like what you're talking about, whose gaze is it, but also what I'm finding now and what I hope to really reinstill and all of us with our battalions is the power of questioning. Mm -hmm. When we empower these children to go exactly that, whose gaze is this? Why are you bothered by my hair? And you start really starting to um, tease out what it is the the kernel of truth and messaging is happening. Um, it's amazing to see how you can um, relieve yourself of other people's stuff when you start asking those pertinent questions that are that are applicable to you. You know, and you don't have to take it on. You know, if you that's have right. a problem, say that again. I said that's right. Yes. Yes. And so how do we empower our girls of color to feel um, emboldened to ask questions to authority, to the adults, to the our teachers, the ones who are supposed to be telling us the truth? And mm -hmm. I'm sure, you know, as you were um, in those spaces where you were questioning um, the system, questioning... Um, police and all the rest of that stuff who incarcerated you how did you find your voice and empower yourself to ask those pertinent questions and feel emboldened to ask those questions well um i i wrote a lot of poetry there was no one for me to talk to except you know my little daughter and my mother-in-law who had lost her son to the fbi cointelpro john huggins mother um, and I could talk to my lawyers, 
But what I did was something I learned to do in my house in DC um, with the madness in my house. I would just, I would do what I called writing to paper, but it, I, mm. poetry is what I'm saying. And in it, I would explore the things that we're talking about today, but I didn't know anybody that I could have the conversation with at that time. Mm -hmm. I didn't know there were whole groups of people exploring this until later when I began to recognize that um, there is religious practice, that is one thing, but spiritual practice one can do um, based on what works. And what I was doing incarcerated was a spiritual practice. Still a while and breathe, move your body, um, begin to love yourself. Um, that was the beginning of what I want to say. Um, I'd always wanted to help people, but what I've come to in my 75 years is that the greatest help I can give anyone is my understanding of the beauty of the human heart, mind, body, spirit. Yes. And that none of us are uh, flawed. None of us are damaged. None of us are, can be controlled by anything external to us unless we allow for it. We can be hurt. We can be owned it, but I mean, to be under the absolute control of all of that, no. Mm -hmm. But it's hard work. But with children and young women, and I work with incarcerated women and their children, it's important that they know that there are people who care for them, mm -hmm. though it seems that no one ever has in life. Mm. There, that those people do exist and I'm one of them. And that's why the battalions are so important. They just- Battalions, yes. The three of us, it's gotta be- oh, it's, gotta be it's gotta be an army. So <laughs> I wanna ask you a question inside of all that you've said about the time that you were incarcerated, the work that you're currently doing with incarcerated women and their children. Um, so last week I was at a conference on ending mass incarceration and um, one of the, 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 I was challenged at one moment really deeply at the conference because one of our speakers who had been incarcerated himself spoke about his time in prison as, well, he deserved it and therefore he learned something good. So it wasn't that it was, it, it shouldn't, mm. he even said, I don't believe in abolition because some people deserve to be in prison. And mm. I know that that's not what you're talking about. <laughs> and so I wanted to make sure for our listeners, giving you a chance to say, when you're talking about what you learned or what happened during your time when you were incarcerated, and of course, because of the wicked circumstances around you know COINTELPRO and how they how they infiltrated the 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 Panthers all the all of that that goes around that so your context is specific but also to help our you know folks who may be in different spaces on even thinking about what it means to be incarcerated to open up our minds about you know the, the guy said you know the guy played a, a film for us and one of the people in the film said I came in here when he was in prison and I felt like garbage and I said if I'm a person of faith and somebody says another human that I feel like garbage something is fundamentally wrong inside of a system that puts people there and the only thing that they're supposed to be meant to feel like is garbage and yet we have, a, you know, we live to your question about even telling the truth. We live in this society that believes that a certain kind of punishment is how you get people to be true. Um, a certain kind of punishment is how you get goodness from people who were bad. And so I would just love for you to reflect a little bit on like the specifics of what you mean by when you say you're caring and loving people 
um, who are in prison and just some of your reflections on that. Well, that's that's the place they've been put in um, for minor infractions, quote unquote, of the law. When you when I would encourage anyone who thinks that prisons work to go in and see. They will not see upliftment. They may see some classes, but the point of it all is that those people, men and women and children, cannot leave. They do not have access to keys. They are not given healthy food. You should read about prison diet. Mm. It is one of the most unhealthy things a human being could be offered. It is based on um, something as close to um, internment camps that I could think of. And, and there are good people working there. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. There are good people working there, but there's no victory a prison can hold. And having been in many of them working, you know, you see, after the charges against me were dismissed, um, I knew I could never um, stay away from the prisons. I had to go back and give. And that's why I did. And so I didn't feel like garbage um, because I refused to let those messages in. Mm -hmm. But I could see and talk with the women who did, who were being told that they were worthless and um, that their children should be taken away from them. Um, it's, you know, the messages told to men and women who are incarcerated is somewhat different. What am I saying? I'm saying that there is no room in this world where you cannot learn something. Mm -hmm. I chose to learn something. It sounds like the person who you heard speaking chose to learn something while he was there. And he probably uncovered some self-hatred. Mm -hmm. So did I, based on what was happening in my life before I was incarcerated. Um, not to mention the multi-generational trauma. So, or not even trauma, but the harm. I try to stay away from words that trigger people, but it's impossible to do it because there's so many words that trigger us. Mm -hmm. But I do hope that one day the word prison will trigger us. Yes. There is nothing helpful there. I right. don't care what a person has done according to the law. Um, other countries in this world, on this planet, have um, in-community programs for mm -hmm. people who have brought physical harm. Mm -hmm. I'm a restorative justice practitioner, so I had the great good fortune, and I, I mean this when I say it, to go into the women's federal prison in Chowchilla, and also to talk with the men in San Quentin who are, are restorative justice practitioners. So there's nothing easy about what they were doing to take responsibility, mm -hmm. accountability, and at least ask in their own hearts for forgiveness for harm they've created. But in every instance, both the women and the men had been harmed as children. So find hope in that space like I, I just because you listen and you see that people that bright light is turned on like restorative mm -hmm. justice does that people yes. are taking care of each other as they share some of the most um outrageous harm done to them or that they participated in and the hope comes Ami and them understanding that they're still learning and they can do it better. Mm. And that's where they are. They're not going to be released. I, mm. I met a 30 year old who is at the federal prison for women who is there for the rest of her life. 30 mm. black, black 
30, beautiful, brilliant, all these things. Why is she there? And I would leave and on the drive home, I would cry. But I now I'm a restorative justice practitioner since so that we can look at all alternates to the punitive so-called justice. It's it's not justice. And have children in the juvenile places and call them juvenile justice institutions is it just the phrase is a lie. Right. And I, I want to be clear with um with the gentleman that I was representing because I he was he was when you said because that's where people are you know that's where you are and there is learning wherever you are and and so I want to be clear that I appreciated and heard him saying when he was saying that I think I was thinking a little bit about a wider audience of folk who many of whom have not experienced any encounter with prison and who can kind of come away with well at least you know if you deserve to be there then you deserve to learn something that kind of you know idea that we think I think we have ingrained in our culture around how people are supposed to about how we're supposed to respond to harm and I don't know that we have adequate ways in our culture to respond, to even acknowledge that we are harmed, even the punitive frame thing, I think gets away from the fact that this hurt me and we hurt each other. But how are we human inside of when we hurt each other? That's right. I remember one one month when I was going into San Quentin for um, the restorative justice work. And I heard that day that the guards were jealous of the men who were able to sit in circle. Wow. Their truths. See, mm. they're in prison. They mm. live on prison grounds. Mm -hmm. They raise their children in Quentin prison grounds. They are, they have their families and their work there. It, it incarcerates everyone that touches yes. this system because it isn't humane. Right. That's the reason why they don't need to exist. That's why I first said before mm -hmm. talking about how okay some of it is go in there and see for oneself it, i worked in the first um a friend of mine who was also a member of the black panther party and um, became a drug treatment and recovery counselor started the first in prison drug treatment and recovery program and um wow. and bruno county jail and what did we what did we talk about healing what did she invite me to do reflection and meditation you know it's that was years decades ago um and that program won all kinds of awards for meeting people where they are and helping them to create the life of their dreams. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I know we've got to go because our producer is like, it's time. But I just have to ask, how can we as folk um, outside of the incarceration system go into those spaces and be inspiring and be healing and be helpful? Is there, a, what what should we carry in our hearts as a way to be of service well, I think space. it's a great question, Ami. And Lisa, thank you for clarifying. I heard you when you first said what you said. I just want you to know that I understood what you were saying. Um, I think we have to look at where we are in prison out here, Ami. Ooh. I mm. think we have to look at it. Um, you know how humans love pecking orders? <laughs> You know, in D.C., across the across the um, uh, district line in Maryland, I heard a woman say, well, I know I'm poor, but at least I'm not a nigra. Pecking order, pecking order. And so we think, oh, well, 
you know, nobody is without mistakes, but at least I'm not incarcerated. Then we have to look at why we, why we evaded prison. I don't mean black and brown people and Asian people, by the way, the prisons are now, women's prisons have wow. populations that are way on the rise, mm-hmm. not what you would think. If you research it just a little bit, you'll see what I mean. But Southeast Asian women are filling the prisons as well as um, Latinx and South American women and African women and African-American women. But back to the point, if we structurally think about the pecking order, the pecking order is then out here is one thing. So if we look at what we've been socialized to believe about one another, imagine how exacerbated it is in prison. And it is. And so that is, um, that's something to contend with. We are reproducing all of this All of it. Yes. Ever we go. So we may if, if we can if we can be out here where we believe that we can be free of chains and bars, then we really need to work on our internal chains and bars. Mm. I love that. I yes. love that. Work on our oh Erica. Chains and bars. Wow. Do you remember the name of the meditation book? Mm-hmm. Because one of our questions is, what is a book or a song, a, a book that has changed your life or a song that you carry with you? Um, I don't remember the author, but the, it was a little paperback and it had pictures of yoga poses in black and white. And the text was written very simply. Um, it wasn't connected in any way, I I don't think it's still in print. It was called mm-hmm. Yoga, Youth, and Reincarnation, and it wasn't about reincarnation so much. It was about transformation, though. And um, I kept that book. I would ke- I kept buying that book because people would ask me like you did, and I'd give mm-hmm. it away. Um, uh-huh. I no longer have a copy of it. I don't know if it's in print. It was maybe it was just there for me at that time you know, mm-hmm. and um, a, a song, um, there are so many, um, but the Sweet Honey song, We Are Our Grandmothers. Ah, oh, yes. For each child that's born, a morning star rises and sings to the universe who we are. For each child that's born, a morning star rises and sings to the universe who we are. For each child that's born, a morning star rises and sings to the universe. Really beautiful. It's one of my favorite songs, and it's there's so there are so many popular songs now that I love probably even more but that one relates to what we're talking about today yes it's about our grandmothers dreaming us yes Lisa dreaming Dreaming. okay I'm gonna lift up a book though yeah okay I'm gonna lift up Women of the Panther, Comrade Sisters yes. of the Panther Party, Stephen yes. Shamans or Shanks. It's not and, a, it's and not Erica Huggins. Thank you. Comrade Sister, <laughs> we are our grandmother's prayers. We are our, oh, anyways. Yes. So that song, and you know, Erica. Oh Erica. my God. I don't even know what to say. You are. So well, the fiercest. Let me say one last thing, and I, I'm glad you're back, Courtney. Mm-hmm. Um, is your child a, a girl, a boy, or do you want to know? Um, well, currently we understand her to be a girl, and we'll just see what this little person's life how has to offer. How she presents. <laughs> yeah. But I was thinking, and I didn't say it before we had to go off line, that 
the world we want is for her, the little mm-hmm. yes, yeah. and all the little girls and all the little boys. We want her to be, if she's soft, we want her to be soft. Mm-hmm. If she's fierce, we want her to be fierce. If she's soft and fierce, we want that too. If she wants to wear combat boots and a fufu tutu, we want that. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> If she, if, she asked, if she asked so many questions like I did, and her mother says, she, like my mother did, Sugar, we're going to have to ask, just save some of those questions for tomorrow. I've, I've had, of course. Mommy's a little tired now. <laughs> yes. Um, and that she recognized the beauty in all things and all creation mm. that she never wants any suffering she never wants to see it or be a part of it although she might and mm-hmm. that she grows to be a woman we can all cheer oh yeah i say i say i say the blessings on the belly from erica huggins what nugget you lucky lucky nugget you got the blessings on the belly from erica oh oh my gosh erica i just such deep, a deep bow to you, a deep mm-hmm. bow of love, a deep bow of gratitude, a deep bow of blessings on your head and your house and your home Aww. and all of who you be to all of us in the world. We are so grateful that you were born. You just had a birthday. We were so grateful that you were born. Yes, we were so birth. grateful that you share your light and your love with all of us with such grace and a plum and such a, a giving, beautiful spirit. You are, you are our Shiro, and we hold you in the highest regard. Mm. All of you. This was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> we fun. flash Harold. This is the jail. We love this. <laughs> this is fun. A very this is fun, fun podcast. Yes. I am from day laborers and cashiers, assembly line workers, and a whole lot of tired black folks. I am from Jesus saves, but we're not no sinners, root workers cures, and love songs that might as well be a religion. I am from by any means necessary, and poetry is not a luxury. In the poem I just read, an original creation of my own, I reflected on these three questions. Who are my people? What spirituality grounds me? And what are some words that I live by? I invite you now to do the same and use the phrase I am to ground your poem, to center it in the way that I am from day laborers and cashiers, you are in the way that I am from Jesus saves, but we're not no sinners, your spirituality is. In the way that I am from by any means necessary and poetry is not a luxury, what are the words you live by? I am. Compose your poem, read it back to yourself and meditate. Just meditate, sit quietly as Erica inspired us to do with your own words, with with your own special ways that you are in the flesh, that you be flesh.
Thank you for listening to We Flesh, an offering of Auburn Seminary's Sojourner Truth Leadership Circle. For more content and offerings created by Black women for Black women, visit us at tarryingplace.org. Our podcast is produced and edited by Courtney Weber Hoover with cover art by Matt C and music by Amakela Gaston and Alexander Nakarado. If you'd like to support our work, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, beloveds.